what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Forecast. We are your connection to the who's who in the game of golf. We hope you'll laugh, learn, and learn how to win and grow your golf IQ with us here on The Forecast. I'm your host, Alan Burton, Director of Instruction for the Alan Burton Golf Academy at Lake Hickory Country Club in beautiful Hickory, North Carolina. I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. You can find us on TheMesh.tv and all of your favorite podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, and Google Play. Be sure to check out all the other shows on TheMesh.tv, all produced right here in Western North Carolina. Advertising on the Mesh Podcast Network is a great, low-cost way to reach a target audience. For more information on advertising on this show or other shows on the Mesh Network, you can send us an email at info at themesh.tv or by visiting the Mesh website at www.themesh.tv and clicking the Advertise button. I'm very honored today to be joined by our guest for this show, a good friend of mine, and I haven't spoke to him in a long time, so I'm looking forward to this conversation with a very intelligent young man. Uh, this fellow is Preston Combs. He is currently in Santa Barbara, California, working with the great Don uh, out in uh, Santa Barbara. I believe it's Twin Lakes Golf Club there in Santa Barbara. Is that correct, Preston? Twin Lakes Golf Course, affectionately known as Twin Lakes National Resort and Spa, depending on who you talk to. <laughs> Love it, man. Love it. It's a beautiful area out there, man. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Thanks for spending a little time with us, buddy. It's good to catch up. Oh, yeah, definitely. Gosh, I'm sorry I missed you at the PGA show this year. You know, the dinner that we always get together for down there is always kind of the staple event. And great to yeah. finally have some time to catch up here for a little bit and uh, and talk golf and putting and gosh anything else that probably comes up i want to probably pester you about guitar this that and the other thing at some point too <laughs> absolutely man hey listen i yeah i missed the show this year it's the first time i've missed a pga show in gosh probably 10 years and and your event is one of the biggest that i look forward to we get a bunch of our friends who all instruct golf uh together for a nice japanese dinner some drinks uh, some sushi uh the conversations that go on at that uh table are just incredible and um you know I, I can't thank you enough for rallying that uh event it's 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 a great honor to get an invite to it because it is a limited audience but uh wow what a group man boy yeah that that dinner started off originally as in order to be invited i had to have uh, let's see you would have had to have visited my property or i yours or uh i stayed at your house in some capacity and you know in it's amazing. You know, I kind of look around the room and I did my opening speech at the dinner this year. And I asked, I said, Hey, can I get a quick show of hands here? If I've been to your property or stayed at your house and like the whole room goes up and it's like, how about if I stayed at your house and a few hands go down. And then I look over at Don and I said, uh, Don Parsons, uh, my boss, yeah. and he's, it was at the show this year. And I said, and raise your hand if up still, if I'm still staying at your house. And he like stood <laughs> up and was like, <laughs> that adopted is you, man. You're, you're oh, easy stuff. to live with, so that's fine. You know, I'm sure I, that's why so many. I, I like to think so. You know, as long as they keep doing dishes and taking out the trash, I can probably stay put here for a little bit. But <laughs> it's been an awesome relationship, uh, tons, tons of information, mentorship, guidance. You know, there's so much more to this golf coaching thing beyond the coaching. And for me to learn from arguably one of the best in the world at managing the business aspect, something that I know a lot of assistant pros, other coaches sometimes struggle with to have the look under the hood as to how things work on the finances and the programming side of things and yep. finding ways to make sure that your productivity isn't solely based on how many hours you stand out on the lesson T truly a tremendous opportunity. And while, you know, an undertaking like that requires some energy to get off the ground once, once it's up and running, it's truly a, Tru truly an impressive 
uh, and truly an impressive operation and a chance to make sure that you maintain some sort of quality of life, something that I didn't have in as an assistant golf pro when I first started, you know, where it's a lot of long work weeks and, uh, and early mornings and late nights. And now to have an opportunity to say, it's like, Hey, you know, there's a boundary here, you know, it's a 12 month season in Santa Barbara. You can't crank 60 hours a week and expect to be worth anything after five or six months. So he's uh, really instilled that helps kind of shape my business around that model. And, just tr- truly an awesome experience. Can't say enough nice things about Don and the opportunity he's given me. Well my, well, my question to you, has Don taught you how to do any grilling? I mean, are you just doing the eating or are you learning some grilling skills from Don? Oh, too? Look, looking over the looking over the shoulder at one of the best. Boy, if you want to get a good steak here, you know, we've actually added made the house a dot on Facebook uh, called Corleone's. And if, if you ever come have dinner, you have to check in on the Facebook page. I told Don at some point we're going to have enough reviews on there where some somebody's going to be looking for local restaurants and they're going to say, all right, we're going to go here. They're going to show up and we got to roll out a dinner for him so you're gonna be listed on yelp before you know it that's awesome man it's 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 not if but when so we're looking forward to having you out here at some point to throw down talk about golf and stuff around the fire pit and share share an awesome meal yeah that looks like a great time man i'd love to do that you know and i i guess with um you know watching your career and being um being just in awe of what you've done in such a short time, you're a young man and everybody gives you such a hard time about looking younger than you really are. Um, <laughs> clue us in on what is the age now? How old is Preston Combs? That's the question of the day. Uh, you, depending on who you talk to, the number ranges between 14 and 45. Uh, <laughs> if I wear pleated pants, it's closer to 45. Uh, I have officially eradicated those from my closet. Uh, and you still I went got out an for- iron though. You're still pressing your flat fronts. No, I am not. I Don Don said you need to stop that. I remember when I first moved in and I asked for an iron and ironing board and I got this look of what is wrong with you? You're you're <laughs> in your late twenties and you just asked for an iron. So. <laughs> yeah, man. But um, you know, it's funny. Skill, we, went, though. we we went out for my thirty first birthday, and it was, uh, and was asked if you, uh, oh, how did that go down? Oh, uh, Don said it's his birthday and pointed to me, and the server said, "Oh, great, are you turning twenty <laughs> one?" <laughs> uh, for our listeners, it, it's a shame you can't see Preston because he does look twenty twenty one years old and has forever. Yeah, some some people thought he was fourteen or fifteen. You know, but uh, that's a blessing, my friend. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, no complaints on my end. Donald still give me a hard time for uh, acting like a child because I like Star Wars and NASCAR and for getting into yeah. the Formula One side of things too. I'd fit right in in North Carolina with my NASCAR fixation. <laughs> Well, yeah, and, and absolutely. And, and do you still have the car that you had? I guess it was a hot rod Chevy. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah got and still still got the Camaro. Trying to Camaro. trying to be trying to get things rolling to see. It's like you know maybe when she hits one hundred twenty thousand miles, drop a new engine in her. Just love the body style on that thing, man. Yeah. She's uh, you absolutely. know before they changed the design to the Camaro to make it look like the Batmobile. I just I love the shape and how it captures the American muscle and you know drop dropping a few extra cylinders under that hood might be a lot of fun. Yeah, what's not to love? I mean, I had a, a Camaro in high school and. Um, so I have a fondness for those older body styles of the Camaro. And, uh, yeah, a lot of fun memories there. Great cars, man. What year so did you have? You, oh, I had a 77 um, there you in go. high school. Yeah, my first real nice car. I mean, I started out like a lot of people with a $600 1971 Ford Pinto that belonged to my grandmother. Um, and then on a, on a trip to a golf high school golf match, I was doing about 15 miles an hour tops. A high school classmate of mine was in a Jeep Wrangler and just head, I mean, just head on collision with the Pinto and it totaled the Pinto. And I think it did only a minor scratch and knocked the battery off the battery mount for the, for the Jeep. So that, the Pinto got totaled and that led to, uh, to, to the acquisition of the, um, the Camaro 77 black had Kreger mags, you know, it was killer. It was a killer car had a good time with that car there you go but, uh, yeah so that's the way it goes with cars man i know uh with, with your career let's take let's take our listeners back a little bit you've um you've been into golf all your life or, or where did this start man and how this passion and 
uh, love of the game, where did it begin for you? Uh, let's, I mean, we got to go all the way back to when I was six months old with a spatula and a plastic ball and on one hand, one leg knocked a ball out the back door and mom said, hmm, that kind of looks like golf and she'd be familiar with it because my dad plays, my grandfather played and going all the way back to my great grandmother played. Uh, she, oh, cool. uh, Her name, Helen Webb Harris, and she founded the first golf club for black women in America back in uh 1937 and they played out of langston golf course just outside of washington dc and that uh boy yeah that was uh kind of gave me the impression as i was growing up and getting into high school that maybe it's no accident i did the junior golf high school golf and always had a passion for the game ever since i was a little kid and since then it's grown into a little bit of a little bit of collegiate golf and graduated a university with uh, my class A PGA membership, uh, business degree as well, and always knew that I wanted to be in uh, coaching in some capacity when it was evident I didn't get the information I needed in order to play. I always thought that there shouldn't be in this day and age a reason why somebody at least doesn't have access to the information to pursue the highest level. Not to say that everybody gets there, but it would have been nice to have enough information to say, at least I gave it a fair shake. It would have been cool to play a couple of years on PGA Tour Canada or Latin America. And even if it doesn't turn into anything, it would have been nice to have a legitimate shot at that type of experience for a little bit. Uh, yeah. So I guess to this day, I'm in the coaching side, Alan, because it, for me, I don't want some young person to come to me at 13 or 14 years old and say, I want to play division one collegiate golf and give this a go and poor information be the reason why they don't get there. So maybe I carry that as a chip on my shoulder, but it always encourages me to pursue a higher level of excellence in everything I do, notably the putting side. Yeah. So as a, as a player, I mean, you we probably want to let our listeners know you're a left-handed golfer. Have you always played left-handed? Did you start out left-handed as a young oh, man? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Backwards as can be. And don't hold it against me. <laughs> no, we, we never do, man. Yeah, But I just wonder because a lot of times, you know, finding left-handed equipment can be a challenge or it used to be more oh, than maybe was. today. Yeah, um, gosh. You overcame those real. hurdles early nineties junior golf clubs, or I guess mid nineties junior golf clubs weren't really, in, weren't really a thing. And then left-handed junior clubs, certainly not a thing, but uh, as far as putting goes, I learned to do it right-handed. Yeah. Just so I could try out a couple of different putters and see if I liked it. And if I could get it in lefty, I would get it and uh, get it in left-handed. So, <laughs> yeah. So with, with that being said now, um, you're not playing with junior clubs now though. Uh, thankfully no my swing speeds up just enough where i can work my way into the u.s kids tour series no just kidding (laughs) (laughs) that's funny yeah i think i think as uh as a coach you know someone who has played competitive golf um there's obviously an advantage having played and played at a high level but you know i think too there's a lot of coaches now that they really haven't had a great competitive playing career and they still not being an amazing coach. What what do you think it takes to be the best coach? Do you feel like it's is it a playing skill that's required or is it is it more is it something else? What's your opinion? A couple of different takes on that. I think from the from the skilled playing side, something that Don definitely brings to the table, having played at UCSB and being one of the top 50 amateurs in the country after he graduated and winning the California State Amateur at Pebble Beach and playing competitively for a bit thereafter on some of the, uh, some of the nationwide circuits, he, uh, he brings that experience level to the table of, I've see- been there, I've seen it, I know what it takes to perform at that level for anybody that says they want to. He's blended that brilliantly with the knowledge and the technical aspect the second uh, second idea that somebody could approach it from says i need to have a good sound understanding of how and why all these pieces work together and then lastly the communication side of things being able to adapt to who's standing in front of you something that i feel like i've spent a lot of time crafting and working towards to understand the person and how they might respond to information, the idea that we could say the same thing a half dozen different ways 
in order to get the message across. And for any young coach that's listening to this, there's no shortcutting the experience side of things. You're going to have to get your hands dirty, give a couple of lessons or two where you go, oof, I wish I had a mulligan there. But, you know, you'll learn from those experiences. You say, you know, I really should have taken the skill-based approach with so-and-so, or I should have pressed a little harder for the mechanics to be more sound before moving on for this particular person here. And eventually you start figuring those out where the line is for accountability for the from the player side and from the coach side. Yeah. It's always a challenge to, to get the player sometimes to buy into your vision for their improvement. You know, as a coach, you know – that mechanical improvements are going to be necessary maybe for someone, but is that player in front of you ready to go on that journey with you uh, and, and realize your vision of, of improving those mechanics when, you know, they, they want a simpler fix sometimes, you know, that's the challenge, isn't it? Uh, for sure. I think when you es- establishing the relationship is such a big part of where to from here. Anybody that comes to see me in Santa Barbara for a putting session, it's always a half day session, especially on the first meeting, because I'm going to need a close to 90 minutes to take a look at the the visual look, the video side of things, collecting data on Sam Putt Lab, assessing the speed and the green reading skills. And being able to really peel back the layers for this person because there's so much more to putting than distance and direction, which golf publications and the internet have led us to believe are the only two things that really matter in putting. And, you know, it's really it's really a shame. And being part of the journey and venture under the guidance of mentors like uh, David Orr and several others that have really helped me craft my craft my coaching style and career. You know, being able to shift that landscape is one of the things that I'd like to do and I'd like to pursue over the course of my career in order to make sure the better information is available to people. Yeah, I think a lot of times, you know, we're dealing with these individuals in front of us and their concepts sometimes are, are the real issue. You know, they don't either they don't have a clear enough concept of what their intention is or they have a poor concept of what their intention should be. And Sometimes it's just our jobs to get in there and find out what computer programs they're running, you know, before um, they, they try and execute something and just figure out what what is and is not, um, you know, advantageous for them to be thinking. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about putting. So you're are you primarily putting now? Are you doing any full swing instruction for your your better players or anyone? But tell us about your your instructional mix right now. What is it comprised of? primarily putting the brand is Preston's putting for a reason and it's uh Don's provided a tremendous opportunity for us to team up and offer a great experience for our coaching program clients where they have one of the best in the world on the K-Vest and full swing side of things and uh and a rising star and some people might say I'm already there in some capacity but I'm always looking to pursue more and information and deliver a higher quality of putting coaching and say it's one of the be able to say you've got two of the best in the same location i mean talk about a full experience where we can have all facets of your game addressed at a high level that doesn't that doesn't happen too often in a partnership that i'm really grateful for yeah that makes a lot of sense in today's world i think we've seen coaching becoming more refined to specific skill categories uh you know over the last 10 or 15 years for sure where you take a you know a profession such as golf instruction, you might consider it a very niche you know um, profession in and itself. Um, hey, I'm going to teach golf for a living. When I when I say that to folks here in Hickory, North Carolina, they look at me like you 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 do what? You can actually make a living teaching golf, you know, <laughs> in general. And I have to take on obviously every golfer that wants instruction and help them with whatever part of their game. Uh, you know, needs to improve to, to stay in business, to actually make it a career or a business. But someone such as yourself who specializes in putting, you know, that's, that's a big, uh, that's a big step. And I, you know, I commend you for making that dedication to that, to that uh, choice. You know, you're, you're going to have a smaller client base, maybe, maybe not. And that's, that's what you have to decide, isn't it? When you make that decision. 
you, you know, it's, it's interesting you say that because that's one point that often comes up a lot when people are asking, how in the world did you decide on a market like putting when it's such a niche market? And I'll go back to when uh, the days when I was hanging out with you, it was uh, I was an assistant pro up in New Jersey. I'd go make my way to Florida for the winter months and try to survive down there. But the best part of that trip, probably the drive to and from where I had the opportunity to stop at places like yours and Jason Sutton's and uh, Andrew Rice was still at a. Uh, um, Berkeley Hall back at that mm-hmm. point in time. And he allowed me to come out and shadow for the day. He brought mm-hmm. me into his office after his last session and wanted to chat a little bit more about me and his, it was the wonderful South African accent just said, so tell me more about Preston and why Preston Combs is going to be a great golf coach. And we, we chatted about that. And he said, and he posed a really Im- quite important question that stuck with me to this day. And he says, who is your market and who are you advertising to? I was like, well, I have my website and working at this club, and I really think I can uh, create a relationship within for with a lot of the members there. They seem to like me, and he just shakes his head and goes, "No." And I'm thinking to myself, "Uh oh, here I've got one of the top instructors in the world," and he just shook his head and went, "No." And he said, "Here, here's the thing, Preston. The world is your market. It's called the internet, and everything that you put out there." allows anybody in the entire world to have access to you in some way. And you need to remember that here we are. Gosh, I, that's got to be maybe 2013 or 14. So here we are almost 10 years later. And that rings with such truth as I have people that have come to see me from Korea, Malaysia, all over the country, People fly, you know, came up, one gentleman flew up from Mexico. He's like, dude, I just saw you. I seen you on Instagram. I've been following you. And just sheerly on the social media side of things, saw enough from that and from me to say, I'm going to jump on an airplane and fly from Mm -hmm. to another country, halfway around the world in some cases to spend time with you and get information from you because I genuinely believe you can help me. So for, so for sure for that side of things that really that resonates that mean that means a lot as far as the work that I've put in so as far as you know is putting a niche market absolutely but positioning myself in such a way where people have access to me through online can come to a destination like Santa Barbara and being given the opportunity to travel all over the country and hopefully the world here at some point will uh will really be a complete picture. And that conversation that day means the world to me. Yeah. That that was a very, very intelligent guy there. Andrew Rice, good friend of mine as well. And he's, he's right. I mean, with today's marketing opportunity, um, anyone can reach out and connect with anyone through, you know, social media in particular, and it's free. I mean, that's, what's been so powerful. It's probably connected more of the golf industry instructor base, um, I made a, a number of great friends myself through through the social media world, and uh, thank thankful for that. You know, so it does allow you to reach new customers, new friends, new instructors to mentor or be mentored by. And so, yeah, it's a powerful tool if it's used if it's used correctly. You know, so there's more than just Preston Combs and and Don Parsons in Santa Barbara to come to. There's this great golf course and its new range uh, that you discussed with me. You're adding some amenities there. Uh, Twin Lakes Golf Course um, in the range. Talk about that some. Tell the listeners what's in store for them at uh, at your facility. Yeah, we uh, we've taken the time to uh, really upgrade our facility. Is already the probably the best range in Santa Barbara as far as the space and the grass mat option, and regularly keeping new golf balls in there. Something that's always important to the player. We're taking the time to add Top Tracer range technology. For those of you that are familiar with Top Golf, it's the uh, same technology that uh, runs there. Uh, runs their uh, facilities and while we don't have the actual targets out on the range that technology allows somebody to plunk down with their basket of balls at their stall download a free mobile app and the mobile app will actually track every golf ball hit from that spot gives you the ability to see how far the ball's going launch angles ball speeds carry distances 
you can even play games out there that we'll be setting up for our clients coming out to for longest drive contests or close to the pin contest and really taking the driving range experience from hitting balls into a field to something that's very interactive and that's going to massively improve the entertainment value and hopefully open us up to a much, a much larger market of players that all of a sudden might go, Hmm, I kind of like it. That, that drive that went a little bit over 250 yards. Let me see if I can do that again and maybe create that addiction where, boy, that was fun. Let's give it another go here and find better ways to do it more often. So very excited to have that open up here in the coming weeks. Yeah, that's, that's big news. And I think you're going to see that. I mean, you guys are on the the front end of this uh, this movement, if you will, in, in our industry where the technology that is available can be utilized to measure, you know, everything a golfer's doing that's relative to their success. You know, the golf shots going how far and, and how accurate and launch angles and spin. These are things that the tour players have now embraced um, as extremely valuable to their progress and and success out there playing golf for a living and and it's going to be something available at your range to the average golfer coming out that's fantastic i'm glad you guys are doing that oh yeah likewise i mean just it's an investment in our guests that take the time to come see us and an effort from twin lakes to really deliver a high-end uh high-end level of golfing experience something that otherwise you know, 10 to 15 years ago, I mean, gosh, stuff like that's not even on the radar, no pun intended right. radar technology just coming out probably around that time where it was starting to find itself into the coaching market. Now uh, here we are looking at trying to deliver that experience on a daily basis. Yeah, I can attest to, to one fact. And that is when I purchased the TrackMan technology for my own instruction, um, you know, it was a big investment. It was close to $25,000 for me to invest in that technology. And to be honest, after using it for, I don't know, the first couple of years, I kind of realized that, well, I bought it for me. I didn't really make an investment that was going to radically change how many golf lessons I was able to give. People were coming to me because of me. They didn't necessarily come to me because of track man. I may have had a few that came, Hey, I heard you had a track man. I want to get on a track. Maybe a few, but that just is a testament to you guys and doing your business. You, you want that technology there. You're willing to invest in it. And there'll be some golfers that show up and like, Oh, okay, well, that's cool. They didn't come there knowing it was there. They just came to hit some balls and they're going to come there knowing now that you care more about them because you're giving them this, this really valuable data. And it's very expensive for you guys to install this. So your customer needs to know what kind of investment they're being made, you know, into, into your business there. That's fantastic. It's not yeah, easy it, to do. It'll be great for, for the data junkies to have more information about how their practice session went. If they're looking to improve their distance control with wedges, then they have an opportunity to do that. And for the recreational golfers, still be able to come out and uh, again, just elevate the experience beyond just hitting balls into a field. You know, it's like, okay, cool. I get to see how far it goes or how fast it got out of the stall here. And that's information that makes you go, man, that's far more enjoyable than just getting my basket of 80 golf balls and hitting them out there and say, okay, cool. Now what? So we're, yeah. we're pretty stoked for that. Yeah. And so not only do you have that on your range, but I know your putting studio is just simply world-class. Let's tell the the listeners what they could expect if they were to fly into Santa Barbara and spend a half day or a full day or several days with you there and work on their putting. What are some of the amenities in, in the Preston Combs putting studio world that you have access to now? Uh, yeah, I think uh, most most clients that are taking the time to fly in and come see me are uh, going with the going down the route of the, the training camp where we have an opportunity to spend a full weekend together and for the Santa Barbara experience where they'll come in, we'll run some diagnostics with some great technology, notably through us, uh, the guys at Science and Motion Sports and uh, or abbreviated SAM Sports. And they have a product called Putt Lab that allows me to measure anything and everything I could imagine about how the putter moves during the stroke and their latest addition for the technology side of things called SAM Ball Tracker, where an overhead camera system is actually measuring and collecting data about how the golf ball is traveling to the cup. So talk about the being able to offer a complete experience of 
what are we looking at for our stroke pattern on flat putts, breaking putts, being able to shape that message for how the ball's getting to the cup on the breaking putts and show somebody, hey, here's a better uh, strategy for green reading or a better strategy for speed and really being able to be very succinct with the message of how and why a ball missed and the recognition of what that player can do differently. So we'll collect data on that front. We'll go play golf on that training camp experience because there's nothing like being able to see how players perform out on the golf course. And then uh, meals are included, and we do day two in the studio, tearing stuff down, putting it back together with a, a better mousetrap and making sure the engines are hitting on all 12 cylinders and ensuring that there's a plan in place for when you leave here, here are the things you need to be doing and working towards in order to uh, – in order to create develop and own your putting yeah that's a fantastic opportunity if, if golfers have any inclination to to improve their putting that's that's where they need to go they need to come see preston combs and spend a little time with him out in santa barbara you know with um with what you see you're dealing with all skill levels i would assume as the player does get better and maybe the more competitive player and they want to refine their putting skills um you know, I find with my clients, it's always a difficult thing for them to individually diagnose themselves. They're they're quick to change putters, or they're quick to change their stroke um, in terms of getting a different result. Let's go down the rabbit hole a little bit of some of the things you might do for a player. And I know it's going to be an expansive conversation, but uh, talk about your approach with taking someone. Um, Let's say they're a single-digit golfer. They're trying to make it to the higher level as an amateur, and you're going to start working with their putting, and they, they don't even know which which putter they should be using. So is that where you start? Is it a putter, putter fitting that uh, becomes the first step, or what are your thoughts? You know, Alan, I think it's going to go back to better understanding the the skills and how and why a ball goes in and the recognition that in my free book, uh, three things to know, we identify read speed and direction as our main components for how and why the ball is going in and what we're going to be able to do in order to improve those skill sets. And that's regardless of the ability level, right? I mean, even if you have a beginner golfer or a single digit, they're deficient in one of those skills that directly influences whether or not they can make a putt. Uh, The conversation might be different as far as how deep into the mechanics we decide to discuss things, or if we just take work on skill acquisition in the early stages for a 20 handicap. But ultimately, we're looking for that very clear message of if I do these things here, this list of four or five steps, I'm going to see improvement. And that'll happen across the board. As far as what area or when somebody asks me, what are we going to do during our weekend session or our half day or full day session? What are we going to work on? The answer is really, I don't know. I've got to look. I got to see what right. the what we're looking at on the data side of things. Uh, I will say that very few players walk in with a putter that is exactly right. Sometimes it's close enough where I don't necessarily want to change or address it in some way. But I think at the end of the day here, we're looking at, at the end of the day, we're looking at, you know, the stick needs to be right. It needs to be the right length, especially the right weight. That's a that's a whole big can of worms in and of itself, making sure the thing's not too heavy, which seems to be the way the market is headed. And then ensuring that we have the mechanics in place so that the right stick actually works too. So a lot of pieces, it's a messy Rubik's Cube of twists and turns to try to get the picture to turn out the way we want, but well, that's why I do what I do, right? Every per- yeah. every person's different, and it's always a venture and a challenge. Yeah, it's an exciting change every day. You're dealing with something unique to that individual. And, um, you know, like you said, it's the three skills of, of line, read, and speed, and the combination of how those skills interact and work uh, amongst themselves. It's a difficult challenge for some golfers to know, out of the three, which one is the bigger deficiency and um, that's our job as coaches to help them you know discover that so talk a little bit about speed control with us and and tell the golfers your thoughts on what gives a player that ability 
to roll a ball with the proper energy so that it travels a proper distance on a given putt? What are some of the things that they're, they're going to need to be able to do? They first need to have an understanding of our two major pieces that control how far the golf ball goes. Those are going to be the size of the stroke, how big or small, and the tempo, how fast or slow the putter's traveling. Uh, those two things put together give us our speed component and how far that ball is actually going to travel. Yes, there's other stuff for the coaches or the more advanced players listening, like acceleration, delivered loft, impact location, the insert on the putter influencing smash factor. Yes, there are other things, but it would be a huge disservice to somebody that struggles with the speed and three putts a lot to say that all they need to do is work on hitting the ball in the center of the face. And that's why they're coming up five feet short and 10 feet by on 30 foot putts, you probably have a bigger fish to fry because right. hitting it solidly versus not hitting it solidly won't give you that big variance and such deviation in the end result. So establishing some framework and recognizing too, that this idea of speed control, eh, you're not really in control of some of these things, right? When you start looking at some of those pieces that I just mentioned that influence how far the ball goes, you're looking more, Along the lines of, I want to be good at the key concepts, my size, my tempo, and recognize that I need to manage my speed. I need to manage my size and to manage my tempo that it's not as exacting as people want it to be. I tell, every, I tell some players that we're not engineering a stroke so that I go 12 inches back, 12 inches through at this putter head speed on this stimp green goes 11 feet, 12 inches. Right. 11 feet, 12 inches. That's brilliant. I clearly need another coffee here. <laughs> you know, um, so any, um, you really just looking at that go and, uh, you know, we don't want to engineer this to the point where it's so exacting because you don't get that luxury on the golf course. You don't get perfectly flat. You have changing slope, changing green speeds. Every green to green is just a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So let's start looking at this as the artistry side of things. I need an awareness of how far away the cup is. Are we at about 10 feet, about 15 feet? Do we have some reference points in place for how big or small we're making the stroke? And do we have enough of an understanding of our tempo and how what our normal speed is? Some people get on fast greens, they try to move it slowly. And on slow greens, they try to hit it harder. And I think that's a really detrimental approach. So let's go with the art side of things, you know, ART, awareness, reference, and tempo. And you can take that one to the bank because if you can understand that speed's an art and work through those steps, we can open up tons of doors for how skillful a player can become with their putter. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, and it's just not understood. I mean, when you ask someone after hitting a putt that was five feet short of the hole, you say, tell me, tell me why the putt's short. And they say, well, I didn't hit it hard enough. And then when one cool. goes five feet by, they always say, well, I hit it too hard. And so that's their understanding. I mean, that's, that's sure. where they start as a golfer. And you want to take them down a little deeper in, in understanding the mechanics of, of their distance control. That's, that's what's necessary, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's the recognition that if I want to get better, I need to have some understanding of those pieces. I need to have that stuff in place in order to make some kind of improvement here. And if I can do that, then, you know, that might well be all somebody needs in order to get better. I said, hey, Preston, I saw that video on the, on the size and tempo and a way to set those baseline reference points. And yeah. my putting got better. Thank you so much. And that could be the extent of the relationship. Somebody might see a free video and say, wow, that was excellent. And my putting's better. And that's all they need. That's all they wish to pursue. Yeah. Uh, if they wanted to get better, there's always more. There's always, how can I do it more often? What are the tolerances? What's, what's good enough? It's, yeah. And you can take the same exercise with a touring professional and a 20 handicap and just recognize that there are different challenge points and performance levels that we would like to like to achieve there's the message might be said a little bit differently when i'm having that size and tempo discussion with a tour pro versus uh someone in our group coaching program here that's just looking to you know three putt once around instead of six times around yeah so when you're dealing with the average high handicapper do you feel like distance control is their generally their their biggest deficiency or do you 
do you see it as being starting a putt on a somewhat consistent line as being a bigger challenge? Uh, the speed side of things. Listen, if somebody's yeah. three putting, it's not because they hit a 20 footer six feet left or six feet right. They hit that 20 footer six feet by or they come up six feet short and it's and it goes back to the speed side of things. And if they could just manage that component to get the ball to stop near-ish by, even if it's not such a great stroke, if we could just keep it inside of two and a half feet on the mistakes, then we'd be much better off, right? So I'm not I won't, you know, I won't sell them the bill of goods that, you know, oh, you can just switch putters and make everything or something, or you know, get go to green reading and you'll be you know, you'll be world's best putter or anything like that. You know, there's a healthy dose of reality with when I'm talking with somebody, <laughs> but, oh, yeah. uh, you know, it's just, it's just letting them know that uh, like, if you do this right here, you'll be better off. And, you know, speed is at the core of my putting tree and right and smack in the center because it's the trunk, you know, it's the main, mm-hmm. main skill here. And if I can do that, well, then we can kind of figure out all the other stuff along the way. And sometimes if you get the speed stuff, right especially the tempo, maybe the direction side of things gets a little bit better too. Absolutely. So when you're, when you're trying to converse with a client about the concept of, of timing or tempo or rhythm in their stroke, do you use all those words interchangeably yourself as a coach? Do you see tempo, timing, and rhythm as all meaning the same thing when you're talking about putting? We usually just leave the discussion at tempo. Uh, just because it tends to muddy the water if you want to start getting into the technical definitions for tempo versus rhythm versus timing. Everybody's got their, there's so many other definitions out there and, you know, uh, some right, some wrong. I'd rather just players just leave it at tempo. How fast or slow? Do we move it like Brant Snedeker? Do we move it like Brad Faxon? Do we move it like Lauren Roberts? You know, it's like, okay, slow, medium, fast. And at some point, that's all we need to process if we're going to uh, yeah. better manage better manage the tempo. It doesn't need to be any deeper a discussion than that. If I'm chatting with another coach, yes, we can talk about the technical definitions of it. But you know, that's some good information to have. Not necessarily something that we're going to teach our teach our um, weekend golfers. You know, I think we sometimes try to overeducate them. And when you can. You know, I think if you have a good sound understanding of all the mechanical pieces and how deep the rabbit hole goes, it just allows you to make the message very clear. And to, as far as they're concerned, simple. People mm-hmm. like simple, but you can't give them simple without a very complete understanding of how you work your way back to that. Yeah, that's important in coaching is the the message can be you know oversimplified and not complete enough uh, to help an individual, but uh, you know being complete and and being simple is it takes a genius to to coach that way and that's that's what uh, what makes you good you know. Well, so I hung out I hung out with guys like you, so I picked up plenty of nuggets along the way. <laughs> we're we're always picking up nuggets, man. It never stops. I think that's what's fun about this job. Uh, you're always looking for better ways to say it, show it, have them feel it, and um, you know, communicate. That's the key. Communicate. So when you're when you're working with somebody, you know, say you're talking tempo with them, would you use some references like, um, you know, a clock? Would you do you like to use references of a player's walking rhythm to communicate their their tempo? What are some ways you might talk about tempo with a student? Let's say they're a mid to high handicapper and they're not a musician. So what do you do to talk about their, their tempo? I usually just let them, I first, I establish the size of the stroke and set up the reference points for that of uh, an idea that I uh, borrowed from Don actually of, you know, if you had a baseline size of one grip back and through figuring out how far the ball goes. And then over the years developed a very extensive protocol for, being able to really create ownership of that because there's so much that goes into it. But once you establish the size of stroke, then within that size, seeing, okay, what is excessively fast to look like, you know, Brent Snedeker on steroids, and then what is painfully slow, like molasses in January look and feel like, and then finding that middle ground, I'd be doing a disservice to the player if I tried to dictate to them that their tempo needs to be at the throw a timing number out there of two to one, let's say for the cadence, 
you know, trying to force somebody into that, well, maybe that's not how they move it. But within the parameters of maybe that's a smidge too fast, maybe that's a smidge too slow, kind of help them find their own middle ground and not get too far to the ends of the spectrum. Because if you start moving it too slowly or too quickly, then you run into issues with the size where it's just not functional. So uh, I like creating that exploration for the player and guiding that process as opposed to saying, you know, here's a metronome, here's something to attach to the butt of your putter and look at your phone to tell you, did it move too fast or too slow? You need to be able to figure it out because when you're on the fourth hole, and you've already three putted twice. You don't get to put pull out your metronome to figure out your tempo. You don't get to attach something to the putter to go figure it out. You need to have enough of an understanding of the pieces to solve the problem on your own. I think yeah. that's what's the beautiful part of somebody coming in for a session is that we create an understanding of how the pieces work together so that when they're on their own, they have a short checklist of things that are in their description, simple, but the simple description compiled with the understanding opens up all the doors. Yeah, that's good coaching right there. If you can get the player to to just have a short list that they can go back to and and make corrections as they play. I mean, that's, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to give this player some instruction that they can open up a a little small list of things, one, two things. If I just do these two things today, I'm going to putt better. And that's what we're trying to do is orchestrate their checklist um, and boil it down to just a couple little small things they need to do. Um, fantastic, man. So tell me, um, you are you getting to play at all? I mean, as, as a player coach, you, you spend a lot of time coaching these days, but are you getting to hit your golf ball at all and play a little bit? Yeah, you know, I'm if I'm kind of at the point where if the number of rounds of golf exceed the months in the year that we're at so far, then I think I'm in pretty good shape on that front. Uh, a lot of my a lot of my spare time though goes into trying to find a way to build the business and deliver the craft better. But there's nothing better than sneaking out at Twin for with our group coaching clients. Just get in a quick nine holes with them. It's it's an executive course. We have eight par threes and one par four out there. And really a test of golf in the sense that if you hit a good tee shot, every hole out there is the equivalent of a regulation golf course with approaches from 70 to 170 yards. You know, stuff that assuming you hit a good tee shot on a regulation size uh, 18 hole golf course, this is what you're going to be left with. So it's still a test, a a true test of your skill set and your ability level once you've hit a good tee ball out there for, okay, what's next? Right. Well, that's great. I, I think golfers need to appreciate that uh, learning and, and training ground more. Uh, there were more golf courses like that. Uh, I think golfers would be better suited to play at all the golf courses in the world and not just, uh, you know, expect to go somewhere and boom a driver all the time. Oh, of um, course. But there's, the, you know, there's that mindset shift that's like, oh, it's the par three course. I'm like, okay, well, get over it eventually because there's a lot of, there's a lot of benefit to to that and if you're so if you're so certain that you're too good for that then uh you can come play me anytime right exactly 100 a hole man here we go so i guess don has the course record there i'm guessing you know uh we redesigned the golf course uh some years ago haven't officially put out um put out a course record of sorts uh i would ballpark the number at probably four or five under for the nine holes uh it's yeah. it's a challenging little track there if you're not paying attention you find yourself two over after four pretty quickly so um yeah, yeah once we got once we get the um got some new mowers that have just come in so we're going to be sharpening up the green side of things here and really excited to get everything rolling uh, smoother and faster now that he uh has full control of the property and both the range, the teaching, and the uh, core side of things to deliver a deliver an experience that's going to be unlike any other. But again, once we get those greens up and rolling, there'll probably be a course record tournament of sorts, and for us to go have at it once a month and see how many birdies we can put up there. Yeah, well, it's exciting, man. I, I look forward to seeing all the changes uh, when you guys implement all that new stuff. So you're you're also involved with a group called the Course Kings. Uh, I know with Jeff. Uh, Smith and and some of the really talented instructors that he's assembled, he's brought you on board recently. Is that uh, has that been exciting for you? And and tell me a little bit about that. Oh, it's fan- fantastic! You know, when uh, Jeff and Jeff Smith and I know each other from 
back in school oh boys going back a long ways 2013 i was working out in kentucky and i hosted mario bevilacqua one of my mentors and uh jeff smith to come out and run a short game school where they would uh did some uh did some wedge work adele was uh Del fittings were uh something that jeff was doing at the time uh mario taught some aim point and some short game strategies and uh that was my first time meeting uh meeting radar golf pro and since then, always hung out at events, grabbed dinners, chit chat. He was a great resource for me. Always happy to answer my phone calls and help a young twenty-something trying to figure out uh, some coaching ideas. When I saw the Course Kings platform started up, I said, "Wow, that's fantastic!" You know, as a putting guy, I'd love to be be on there at some point. Never asked about it, and then the phone rang probably a few months into it, where he said. Hey, I like the message that we're, you're delivering with the putting side of things. Would love to have you on board and provide an opportunity for you to share information to a loyal and dedicated market of golfers that are looking to pursue better, to pursue excellence. And I jumped at the opportunity for that because it was that that captive audience for me to share some of the more detailed information that I maybe allude to on Instagram and or a putting story on Instagram that might share just a little bit of insight as to what happens in the studio, but maybe a few more nuggets, the extended version of those on that platform, or better, more complete messages about the skill set side of things for here's what we're looking at for the baseline information and the skills and a deeper sense, as opposed to just the you know, just the size and tempo chat. And it's like, Hey, let's get a little bit more into the acceleration the delivered loft, the smash factors, the ball speed stuff that we would like to know a little bit more about. So having an opportunity to be on that platform with a group of truly exceptional tour coaches is just, uh, just awesome for me to be a part of great honor and looking forward to just continuing to encourage more people to jump on there, to get a membership and see what's out there on the information side of things. Oh yeah, it's a, it's quite a group of instructors that he's assembled, and it's um, uh, it's really a good a good find that he brought you on board. I'm sure that's uh, uh, a no brainer for him. Uh, he's a great putting instructor himself, and for him to bring you on board, that says says volumes of what you're doing. And um, you know, I know I have uh, T.J. Yaten. He's now kind of a new instructor along with that. I'll have T.J. on a show next week. We have plans, so I'm looking forward to chatting with him about his uh, uh you know new uh accomplishment getting on board with that as well so oh yeah TJ, you guys. tj's great you know i first met tj back in 2011 he he and mario hosted my first aim point class that i attended down in oh, uh cool. down in south florida when i was uh, snuck down there for a winter and boy uh, you know for somebody who was always a good putter opening my eyes to a the systematic approach for green reading was truly incredible. And back then we were still doing zero break lines uh, for just some exposure to it in that setting since we had all coaches there. And then learning the uh, learning the midpoint uh, system using the chart just really opened my eyes to, wow, there's something here. And that, uh, that actually kind of launched the uh, foray into the putting coaching side of things where I said, you know, if I could show somebody where to hit it, that'd be pretty cool. And a few yep. years later, got aim point certified and then wanted to show somebody how to hit it to that spot more often. So I bought Sam Putt Lab and boy, that tech left me with more questions than answers because it was what the putter was doing. Needed to know way more about how the body was structured in order to do that. And uh, TJ introduced me to David Orr and the rest is history. Yeah, I knew that was a long, a long seated relationship that had started much earlier and. You know, even you and I go back a, a bit with teaching aim point together. We went to Pinehurst together, you and I there at uh, Pinehurst number seven and did aim point express clinic with a group of folks. I'll never forget. It was a kind of a rainy day and they thought, oh, no, the rain's going to get us. And they put um, they put uh, tents up over the putting green. First time I'd ever seen that. They did that for us so we could teach the, the clinics there. It was fun. Fun day. Well, I tell you, my friend, we. Um, we go back a long way, and we got a lot more to look forward to. Uh, you and I talking golf. Where where is our industry headed? Um, in your own opinion, give us an industry forecast, if you will. Where is the game of golf headed? What do you see happening in the game? Um, it's unprecedented times right now, so we're not really watching golf on television. We don't see any tournaments week week to week, and uh, kind of a peculiar situation we're in now. But what do you see happening over the next? 
year, over the next five years? Give us Preston Combs' forecast for the game. Oof, boy, that's a, that's a loaded question. Let's see. Forecast for the golf coaching industry. There's going to be a – my prediction is that there's going to be a recognition that you're going to get information at a very different level from people who specialize in certain areas. And I think that your more competitive players are starting to recognize that I'm going to want a team around me or a network of resources for different parts of my game. Uh, I think the club golfer is going to hold their instructor that they see on a day-to-day basis to a higher standard of information because it's more and more prevalent. And I think we're going to see a massive shift over the next five years or so of that in for that, you know, that old school tip of pick anything, you know, pick any conventional wisdom tip about um, hitting down on it to make it go up or things like that. You know, it's going to be a lot of that stuff I think is going to fall to the wayside here pretty quickly. And those uh, instructors that either specialize or that teach all facets of the game, but care to stay on the cutting edge like yourself in different areas really are going to be the ones that succeed and there's going to be a more accountability, right? Uh, mm-hmm. My ses- my session, uh, recent session was just talking about, you know, how I'm utilizing the technology. And while we weren't super hands-on with it, I kind of looked at a couple of things and was able to show somebody, okay, here we are with, you know, X, Y, or Z uh, issue, and then was able to work through some of the changes, but then demonstrate, here's the tangible proof of improvement. Here's the data. Uh, you know, the technology is good for the player to be able to see their progress, but you better believe that that holds me accountable, right? Because right, if I say, right. hey, we're going to do something, it's going to change this piece here, and it doesn't work, I need to find another way quickly. Or if it does work, it's nice to know that you know, the information that I provided didn't have any unintended consequences. That's right. Yeah. You can't, uh, you can't tell a player they're better and then they just believe you, you know, have to measure it and show the improvements in some form or fashion. And that technology can be that, that measuring tool that, uh, puts it, puts it into a proof, you know, for the, for the individual. Totally. So I think we're going to see things head in that direction. Uh, The world of social media and the Internet's only going to improve. Uh, The recent COVID-19 crisis is going to really uh, give people that are dedicated players the time to start looking around for additional information and resources and really hone in on, okay, if I want to improve, who am I going to listen to? And I think that everybody's that's at that level is going to start listening a little more carefully. It won't be just taking information from every magazine and YouTube video in order to, uh, in order to try to fix their golf game. Yeah. It just to speaking to your point, I know I gave a, a one hour golf lesson to a gentleman yesterday. He's about 67 years old. I'd never met him. Um, it was just a one hour lesson. And the three things that I mentioned to him, that were the focuses of his lesson yesterday. He said no one had ever said any of those things to him as a golfer. The three things that we focused on, he said, I've never heard that from anyone. And it was kind of telling to me, as you said, you know, golfers are given bad information every day and, and they're holding on to these concepts in their head as if this is what I need to do. This is what I need to do. And if it's wrong, or if it's uh, certainly not a priority for that individual, they're not going to progress. And that's, that's what I see every time I give a lesson. Wow. You you were told to do what? (laughs) Or you've never heard to do that. Okay. Yeah, Uh, exactly. Say as the putting guy here, and I'm not usually too concerned about anything where the club head goes above the kneecaps or anything. uh, What were the three things? Um, well, I wasn't given a putting lesson. This was a full swing lesson. Right. Yeah, and, totally. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just curious. I still like to keep my finger on the pulse every now and again. Well, for this individual hitting the ground with his golf club and the proper club to ground interaction that I was looking for, he had never heard the concept of low point. And so getting into his head about, well, wh- why do you feel like you hit fat shots? And why do you feel like you hit thin shots? You know, what do you think is common among those mistakes that you make? And he was unaware that his lowest point in his swing was consistently behind the ball. 
And as most golfers experience that, they hit one fat, then they hit one thin, they're moving their low point. They're moving it up and down. They're just not understanding how to move it forward. Mm-hmm. And so that I think that perpetuates a lot of golfers' troubles. You know, they don't understand landing the club properly uh, in front of the golf ball just to make more solid strikes. So that was a big, big thing for him. He, um, he had a left knee replaced uh, last fall. He's had three back surgeries. And when I first saw him positioning himself to the golf ball, he was standing very close to the ball, and he had this tremendous arch in his spine. And I thought, well, we're going to have to make some adjustments here because, number one, he's inclining himself to lose balance back towards his heels, and he's going to be inclined to raise up out of that because he can't turn in that position. So he had never been given any concepts at all about proper posturing and balancing of himself before he even started his swing. So we kind of worked on his positioning and, and adjusted his posture and, and how far away from the ball he was standing and immediately made a much bigger turn and, and backswing as a result and, and better balance and more solid contact. So that was something he said, I never had anybody tell me, you know, that. I said, well, what have you been told? He said, I've been told to keep my head down. I said, well, let's talk about that. Let's have a good chat about that one. I love that one. And so as a result of that idea, his, his body would not fully rotate at all into a finish. And so by keeping his head down, he was inhibiting his body from rotating. And therefore, his arms would just collapse as he went through the ball. And that caused a lot of top shots. And he said, I've been told that I raise my head up all the time. I said, well, let's, let's look at the video. And I showed him, drew a line on the top of his head, and his head didn't move up and down at all. His arms just, I said, are you, are you lifting your head as you thought? He said, no, I don't guess I am. So we'll see, you've been told something wrong. You weren't lifting your head. You were keeping your head down too long. And so that, you deal with that. And I deal with that a lot with players. Is that you, you've just been given the wrong information, the wrong advice. And believe me, you were doing what you were told to do. And it was making you a not so successful golfer. So that's, I, I that's think, what I see. I think that's going to be a testament to what I was saying earlier about where's the golf instruction industry headed. And it's going to be to better information. But I think it's all of us collectively making sure that within our captive audience that we're delivering a very succinct message that's built on sound principle and structure in order Mm -hmm. to actually help create improvement for people. I mean, low point, Adam Young used to work out here with Don and I, and I mean, talk about a guy that's just absolutely brilliant. I mean, wrote the practice manual, probably one of the best golf books ever written. And Mm -hmm. in an effort to help people understand where the club hits the ground, where the ball hits the face and where the club face is pointed are probably your most important things. And being able to develop that skill set because mechanics can be so personal and individualized and really taking that message and getting stuff like that out there to a bigger audience so that the stuff about keep your head down and keep your left arm straight dissipates. Those are, those are pretty big instances right there where I think we're going to see that, you know, the guys that are in there, guys and gals that are in their twenties and thirties that are, you know, amateur golfers that are taking lessons now, you know, 20 years down the road, stuff like that'll be kind of commonplace where I go, yeah, I know the club needs to hit the ball in the ground and here's some basic principles that help manage that low point. So definitely a, definitely a big point there. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. Preston, I, t- I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate you taking some time out to, to spend with us today, man. You, Our golf industry is in great hands uh, in the leadership of young coaches like yourself who are doing great things, my friend. You just keep it up, and um, we're going to sit back and watch the greatness unfold in front of us as it already has. I enjoyed chatting with you today a lot, man. I oh, hope th- to have you come back soon. Tell yeah, our listeners so. how they can get in touch with you, too. Well, first, thanks so much, Alan, for having me on board. You've been a been a great friend and mentor of mine as I was coming up and in my 20s from letting me crash at your house and look over your shoulder and learn a few things along the way. You've been uh, just true, truly awesome and just a great part of the journey here. So it's some, you know, some years down the road when when I'm living in my own house and then you're coming or you're coming out here to come visit. It'll be some some great memories and a lot, lot of that journey to share. So thanks so much for having me as a part of that and uh, on here today. Yeah, it's my pleasure, my friend, my pleasure. It's awesome to watch. So tell Uh, our listeners, they need to reach out to find Preston Combs in Santa Barbara. How do they get in touch with you and how can they communicate with you to say hello and, and get more information from you? 
Yeah, absolutely. The website is www.prestonsputting.com. Great chance to jump on there. We've got the video page where you can get a look at some of the day-to-day side of things through the putting stories that I have posted up there. Uh, probably most importantly, downloading the free ebook, Three Things to Know, getting a copy of that to find out a little bit more about those skills that I mentioned, read, speed, and direction, and how that pertains to you and your putting, and having a better understanding of the breadth of putting components that would uh, help people get better over the uh, over the long haul there. If somebody's looking for uh, some more regular interaction, checking out my Instagram page, at Preston's Putting. And if you don't mind a little baseball talk, uh, the same thing on Twitter, at Preston's Putting as well. But uh, email, email and direct message on Instagram, fastest ways to get a hold of me with time zones and busy, busy lifestyles and coaching and things like that. But always happy to answer a couple of questions here and there and interact with everybody that's taking the time to support me. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I, I hope my listeners do that because if they don't, they're, it's a disservice to themselves if they don't reach out to you and, and connect and get more, uh, more information from you. Preston, it's been a pleasure, my friend. I look forward to seeing you down the road. And listeners, Preston, is uh, he's there for you, so reach out and touch base with him. He wants to help. Um, you couldn't get better information when it comes to golf or putting than you can from Preston. So I hope you do that. This has been The Forecast. I'm your host, Alan Burton. I appreciate you joining us. And until next time, golfers, we want to say uh, in these unprecedented times, stay safe and uh, look forward to seeing you on the golf course very soon. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.